out again. Say go. go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. You may be seated in God's presence. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 9. I believe God's going to send some things going today. Amen. <clears throat> How many of you got anything last week? Amen. First Kings chapter 19. Did I say nine? Oh, you were close. Let's look at verse nine. We're continuing with Elijah. Verse nine says, There, now remember last week he was at the broom bush, he ate some angel food, and he got up, right? If you read uh, verse eight. He traveled on that food for 40 days and 40 nights. (laughs) About like some of y'all. You do good on Sunday. And then look at verse 9. There he is again in a cave. Little booger. That angel food didn't work too well, did it? There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. Look look at what God said. He said, what are you doing here? Look at what he said now. Verse 10. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're after me too. Obviously the Lord didn't like that answer, so he says, Look, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind toward the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord. What's that say? But the Lord was not in it. Okay, make sure you know that. After the wind, there was an earthquake. What does that say? Not in that one either, huh? Then the fire came. Was he in that? The Lord wasn't in that fire. And after the fire came, there came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, look at that old booger. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. <laughs> he just ain't got it yet, has he? Then a voice said to him again, What are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, is he a broken record or what? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. There is a right to reject your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one to live. Now they're trying to kill me too. What did the Lord say? He said, what was that first word? What did he say? Go back the way you came. Let's pray. You know, I, I don't know if some of you believe this or not before we pray. But there are some things that God can totally and completely eradicate from your life I mean he can so eradicate it that it'll never come back again 
Now, my wife got excited because there have been some places that are so hellish that she never even wanted to go back again. Amen? And I think that's where we got to get with the spirit of heaviness, that I I don't want to go back there again. Amen? Now, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, great eradicator, eradicate something in this house today. Tell it to go, that it'll never come back again. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Y'all ready for this today? Okay. Because last week we talked about a spirit of heaviness. And this is what I want you to know because this is what I'm finding. As your pastor, I'm finding in your notes that many times on the surface and on the screen, we get lifted, but we don't live in the atmosphere of our lifting. You get it? As Christians, many times on the surface, we get lifted, but we don't live in the atmosphere of our lifting because we can come in on a Sunday and we get lifted by a song. We come in on Sunday and we get lifted by a sermon. We get lifted in a moment of really good praise and worship. But what I'm finding in Christians is we don't live in the atmosphere of the lifting. And if the truth be told, you can go to church and you can feel like when you leave here that you're walking on top of the world, but Monday morning it feels like you fall right back down again. It's an up and down and up and down and up and down. And I warn you, There can be a pattern in the life of a Christian where you go to church to feel better, but you actually go home to get back down again. Not on purpose. Anybody drink those energy drinks? A couple of people? Okay, Nobody really wants to admit it because you know how bad it is for you. But it's like those energy drinks. I've seen people, they chug them, and after they chug them, I mean, baby, they can run in the Olympics... For a little short while, because after they crash, they come down. And I understand why people uh, drink energy drinks, because some people, their life is challenging. The, The demands on their life are a lot, so they chug one and go down. And they chug one and go down. And they chug one and go down. And my question is, does it really make a difference in your life? Because to me, as a believer, it's better to be stable and steadfast than a roller coaster Christian. Amen? Now, I'm not preaching against the energy drinks, so don't come to me after service and be one of their best salesmen and tell me how great they are. What I'm really trying to do is use an illustration of trying to tell you this is how a life of a Christian can be. That we can come to church to get up, only to go back down in our atmosphere of our life. And some of us get to the point, and I'm seeing it in churches, that if we're not careful, we're only coming to church to get high. We're like junkies. We come to Sunday morning to get our fix so that we can deal with the hell that we've lived in all week and we get our fix, we get our shot only to go back to the hell that we live in all week and it just brings us down. Are you hearing me? And for some of you in this room, the thing that does pull you down is your family life. So some of you are glad to come to church because I can get away from it for about an hour and a half. And if pastor preaches really long, I can get away from it longer. But here's the deal is you can't live here. 
We do have a security team that does close these doors and will escort you out. Because I don't want to live here. I do want to go back home. And what you find is you couldn't live in the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, you couldn't live in the raw, real presence of God in the Holy of Holies. You could only visit it. And that's what the church has become. is just a place, really, that we go to visit to get our fix to go back home. So in your notes and on the screen, people go and visit the presence of God only to go back to a horrible home life situation. Now there's some in here, for some of you, your, your home life is tranquil. It's peaceful. You enjoy your home. You can't wait till I finish to where you can get back home. But, but there is someone on your job. There is someone in your sphere of influence. Do you know the body has 100 billion nerves and that one little joker knows how to touch that last nerve? Can I get an amen in this house? Listen, let me just say this. Most of us in this room do not feel a spirit of heaviness because of the people that we work with. Most of us in this room do not feel a spirit of heaviness because the car broke down or life's not going right or the family's in chaos or my job's not going right. Many of us live up under a spirit of heaviness because of something that is on the inside of us that we feel day in and day out. And that feeling has made the heart sick. For some of you in here, that feeling is an emptiness or or it could be a loneliness or it could be uh, the wrong perception like we talked about last week and we're going to talk about uh, today. It could be an alienation. It could be a personal thing. It could be a past thing. It could be a personal dysfunction. It could be an invisible thing. It could be an imagined thing. It could be a hidden thing. But there is something inside of you that is making your heart sick. So when I look at Elijah, I scratch my head and I go, how in the world can Elijah be so anointed, so powerfully, publicly, but yet privately his heart is sick? How can it be that way all at the same time? So I ask you, how in the world could you be doing things Only to ride home in your car or from work and you're crying because you do not like or you dislike your own life. I mean, here all is Elijah. I mean, if I could call fire down from heaven, I mean, that would just be amazing. Fire that would come down and lick up the water. Fire that would come down and look up the wood. I mean, this is what happened in Elijah's life. And suddenly he's on the run for his life. Which we talked about that last week. So what I want you to see today is on the screen is what happened at the broom bush. It got him up. But obviously as we read on, it did not get him out. Are you with me? It got him up. The angel food strengthened him for 40 days, but there was still something in him that did not allow him to come out. Matter of fact, let me ask you this question. Have you ever gone through anything in your life and you thought that you were delivered only to find out you thought you got the breakthrough, you cried in the service, You worshiped the Lord and said goodbye problem 
walked out of here with your shoulders square only to find Wednesday that you weren't really delivered? Can anybody be real in this place and say that's happened? Okay, a lot of you. Now, I'm glad that the others have no inconsistencies in their life. I'm glad all the others have no problems. But if you're like us, we've actually realized that in this thing called Christianity and trying to follow God, that at one moment we can think we're delivered, only to find out that really, truly we weren't. And here's Elijah. He runs in the strength of this angel food. The Bible says for 40 days. But then here we find him in the cave again. And some of you in this room have found yourself going back to a state that you don't like, that you thought on Sunday you got free from. Some of you in this room have decided on Sunday morning that I'm not going to be the outspoken, vicious tongue, piranha mouth that I am, and I am set free from that. So Monday, you're like, hey, how you doing? So good to see you. God bless you. Amen. And then by Wednesday, you're like, if you talk to me that way again, I'm going to knock you upside the head. Now, I know none of you want to admit that, but that happens. We think we get freed only to fall right back in again. Some of you came in here and you've thought you've conquered the habit. You thought you conquered the mood. You thought you conquered the issue. You thought you conquered the inconsistency. But at the right circumstance, in the right place, you're singing the song, Oops, I did it again. The people that are laughing are like, yep, that's me. The other people that are trying to hold back the laugh are like, I don't want to expose myself. So here's Elijah. He's trying to get out of the cave. The angel food's wearing off. And God looks at Elijah. And I love how God asks questions. He says, Elijah, what in the world are you doing here? And that's the question from your pastor to you right now, Northfield, what are you doing here? I'm not talking about church on Sunday. I'm talking about in the same habit, in the same inconsistency, in the same spirit of heaviness that you've always had after so much exposure to good worship and to good word and to the presence of God. What are you doing here? You were just raising your hands. You were just singing at the broom bush tree. You just ate some angel food. You shouted the victory as you walked out of here. But oops, I did it again. And here I am back again. And to some of you that were here last Sunday and you've set free, maybe you still need this message on credit today because sooner or later you may find I didn't truly get delivered because last week, listen to me, I only taught you how to get up. But today I want to teach you how to get out and stay out. Is that okay? All right. So if you're taking notes, look at number one on the screen. We all have to allow ourselves the luxury of honesty. Really. As Christians, as human beings, we've got to allow ourselves the honesty that we are complex. We really are. We are the most conflicted species on planet earth. There are a bunch of complex individuals here because we are multi-layered. We are not one-dimensional. We say we are Christians and if that's all you think we are, then you're mistaken because I personally am a Christian that happens to be a human being. 
I am a Christian being that does have a temperament. I am a Christian being that does have a personality. I am a spiritual being. I am an intellectual being. Now that's still yet to be determined. And then I am an emotional being. And we've got to be honest as Christians. We're all beings with multi-layers. And the problem with all of us when we leave here, all these beings get in a fight with one another. Seriously. And depending on when you catch me will determine which being is whooping the other being. Because sometimes the emotional being will choke the life out of the spiritual being and say, do away with all those scriptures. I'm just mad today. I don't think y'all want to be real here. Where are my men at? Okay, we got one man up on the front. Where are my men at? How many of you ever been ticked off at your wife? I mean, you might. Go ahead, let's be real. Let's do that again. How many of you have ever just been ticked off at your wife? All right, keep your hands up. You were ticked off at your wife, and then she came around the corner looking all good. Right? She came around the corner looking really good. And then all of a sudden, the sexual being choked the life out of the emotional being, and you don't even remember what you're mad at anymore. It happens. We're multi-layered, complex individuals. Right? Can we be real today? All right. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Not because God didn't know. He knew I was there. But what God was trying to get Elijah to do was to have a moment of self-analysis. Look inside of yourself. What's going on inside of you, Elijah? All of us in here, we need to get to know us. And when we are in a situation that we keep repeating over and over, especially the spirit of heaviness, on the screen we've got to ask, why do I keep having this pattern? I've got to find that out. Why do I have to find that out? Look at me. We are patternistic people. I don't even know if that's a word. But we are patternistic people. Just look where you sit on Sunday morning. You're so patternistic, I know where you are. Right? I am so patternistic that I can't trick Carrie anymore. That's why she looks at me and says, what are you stressed out about? You got that look on your face and I always, what look? I got no look. But I've got a pattern of my looks that she knows about, that she has studied because we're patternistic people and God is asking all of us, what are we doing here? Repeating the same thing again. Still in a spirit of heaviness, still with the same habit, still with the same conflict. And he's asking you, what keeps bringing you to the dark place? What keeps bringing you to the cave place? I'm going to admit something, and maybe I shouldn't admit this. But ministering to people is not about being smart. So all of you could be a minister. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Really, it's not about being smart. You don't have to be smart to be a pastor. That's why I qualify. Okay? 
What you have to do is you have to learn how to lead people to the truth that's inside of them. And that's the hard part of the job is leading people to the truth that is inside of them. Let me explain. If you're a liar, you know it. If you're horrible to your wife, you know it. If you're a piranha mouth, you know it. Are you hearing me? So a good pastor just leads you to the truth that is inside of you. But the hard part is to get you to understand that you as an individual, once I lead you there through the word of God, you have to admit, I've got a problem. And that's your hard part. To admit what he's preaching to me is truly my problem and I need to examine my pattern. And God says, what? Are you doing here, Elijah? What keeps happening to you that here at the height of your career, you keep regressing back to this dark place? And look what Elijah says. Don't miss what he says twice. I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Look what he says. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Look at your Bible. Look at what he's saying. Because I told you last week, whatever happens in your head becomes your reality. Look at how he's thinking. Because a lot of the reason why you keep coming back to the same old thing and have the spirit of darkness and the spirit of heaviness in your life is because of your stinking thinking. The broom bush got him up, but obviously the broom bush didn't get him out. We told you last week that the broom bush is a transitional place, okay? It's a place that fed him. It's a place that sustained him. But what we're finding is even with the angel food, he, Elijah, not God, he, Elijah, did not, after eating the angel food, change the pathology or the pattern of his perception. He did not transform his mind. He may have got a little tingly-wingly on a church service to get some goosebumps. Woo, I got a little something to walk out of here. But he never transformed his mind. Are you with me this morning? So on the screen, until you change the pattern of your perception, you can keep coming Sunday after Sunday eating angel food. But if you don't do nothing with that angel food, you're only going to fall right back down again. And the cycle will never stop. And you may tell you why the cycle never stops? Because it's coming from inside of you. Not your mama. Ain't got nothing to do with your daddy. Ain't got nothing to do with what aunt and uncle did or did not do to you. It's coming from in you. So the question you need to ask yourself today on the screen, what is wrong with my perception that's driving my reality that keeps pressing me down or keeps throwing me back into this habit or keeps throwing me back into this thing because I promise you if you cannot answer that fundamental question about you buy all the books you want listen to all the pastors on TV you want pay good money to travel to all the conferences you want But what you're doing is you're doing all of this just to dress up the problem, but you're finding is you're not getting delivered from the problem because you're not doing anything with the angel food. 
Are you hearing me today? God says, what are you doing here? Now, when God asks that question, what are you doing here? Just read that question. Read that question in your Bible. Look at it. Elijah, what are you doing here? This is coming from the Creator. What is suggesting to you, okay? It's suggesting to you, because I'm asking you, what are you doing here? You shouldn't even be here. Because I had to ask the question means that you shouldn't even be here. And church, I'm telling you, God did not create any of you to be miserable. He created all of you to have joy. All of you to have life and life more abundantly. I talked to you about that environment. God created us to live in an environment to literally have life and to be in a place of blessing. That's why even with the tithe, he says, if you do this, then I'll do that. The whole Bible is about that. It's about our obedience to the Word of God. And when we obey the Word of God, we live in that environment of blessings and joy. Are you hearing me today? But we violate that Word and get our pattern and our pathology off. And it's hard to come out. See, you have to understand is the church was not designed so that you could have life. The church was designed so that it could empower the life that you have in Christ. Are you hearing me today? So i got to know what I have in Christ. I've got to be obedient to the Word. And as I'm reading the Word and transforming my mind, now I come into the church to be empowered, not to get my fix, not to be a junkie. Now I can live in the atmosphere of my lifting. Because I was lifted... Wednesday, when I heard what God told me, and then I walked in there on Sunday, and God used that crazy man up on the screen or up on the stage just to confirm something He already told me, and I got lifted even higher. It's hard to say amen when you're not practicing that. I get it. Here's the deal is when the Creator says to the creation, What are you doing here? Again, it means you're not supposed to be there. So if I'm not supposed to be there, and he's asking me to begin to self-analyze and to begin to look at my perception. Number two is I need to discover the pattern that keeps me in the cave. I've got to discover that pattern. There is a trap that keeps throwing you into something. And look at Elijah. He made this funny twice. He gives his perception. The creation... Tells the creator, this is how it is. I am the only one left on your planet that even loves you. Do you see that? He is telling God, I am the only one left. And and, and now here's two patterns that could be in your life. Are you ready for this? It ain't on the screen, so you might want to write some notes. If Elijah is telling the creator, I'm the only one left. There is a pattern in his thinking. And the first pattern is since he's the only one left. Look at me. It means he's the only one right. The kids are wrong. My husband is wrong. My friends are wrong. That pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. He's wrong. And God is wrong. I'm the only one right. 
And then if that's your pattern, guess what you've done? You've positioned yourself into such a position of power and such a position of control because you think you're the only one right. Now you're mad because you can't get others to fit into the perception of your reality to comfort your darkness. That was deep, wasn't it, Alma? Maybe I ought to say that again. If you're the only one right, and you keep going to people, you just don't understand. You're trying to get them to comfort you in your own darkness to fit your stinking thinking and your wrong perception. So listen to people that say, no baby, you're wrong. Here's what's really going on. You hearing me? So that's one pattern of thinking that you could be in, which leads to number two. Since you're the only one left, and you're the only one right, guess what you get to do? Play the victim. No one understands me. And when you use the word, no one understands my situation, it gives you the luxury of continuing to forever typecast yourself as the victim. Nobody treated me right. Nobody loves me right. Nobody understands me right. Nobody has been there for me right. Though they've all been there for you, they just haven't been there right for you and your perception. Nobody can date me right. Why does this keep happening to me? I'm the only one going through this. Oh, I know I haven't talked about any of y'all in this room today. But that language makes you forever the victim. So we see Elijah's pattern is off because he tells the Creator, I'm the only one. Now God, he he starts doing some business because he looks at Elijah and he says, go out, look at what he says, but look at how disobedient Elijah is. He says, go out and stand on the Mountain. Now I read a little bit later. He's standing in the cave still. Don't miss that. Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. What does it say? For the Lord is about to pass by. And I've came to tell somebody in this room. That you've been dealing with a spirit of heaviness. And you're drowning it with things in your life. That God is telling you. I'm about to pass by in your life. And when I pass by. Don't be there in the cave. Be standing at the mountain to where you can feel. And see and sense the presence of the Lord. Because every time I see God passing by, that's every time I see devils in hell starting to flee. And it's time for somebody in this place to get up and to get out and stand on the mountain and to proclaim to every foul spirit in your life that I will no longer be trapped in the cave. I will not even stand in the doorway of the cave. I will stand in the presence of the Lord. And when He passes by in glory and in power, Everything in my life got to G-O. It's got to go. Come on and give him praise. That's why the devil should have killed you in the cave. But because you are here this morning, 
It's telling me you want to get better. You don't want to stay in a damp, dark, nasty cave. So I've come by to tell somebody, keep on standing. Keep on standing. Because if you keep on standing, it'll help you with number three. Because number three is expectancy will bring you out of the cave. That's why Paul said, and that's why I said today, if we have no hope, we are all men are most miserable. You want to know what drives you back in the cave? When you stop expecting anything to happen. You know what makes our services as dry as stale toast? When you come in here not expecting God to do anything in worship. You know why you don't receive anything from the Word? Because you stop expecting the Word to transform your life. You know why you stop reading the Bible? Because you stop expecting the Bible to transform your life. You know why you stop praying? Because you, you stop expecting God to do something in prayer. Look at verse 13 on the screen. When Elijah heard it, that's why I wanted to pull your attention to it. He's still in this darkness because he pulled his cloak over his face. And I know you can say he didn't want you know, the presence of the Lord to shine on his face. But look at where he's standing. He stood at the mouth of the cave. He is standing in a little bit of expectancy because at least he stood up. At least he's at the mouth. But it shows me that I could go back in or I could come out. Any one of you in this room, every Sunday you have that ability. I can either listen to my pastor and do what he says Or I can just stay in my situation. Because every Sunday you're standing at the mouth of the cave. And if you don't change your perception, you're going to run right back into that cave. But if you stand at the mouth of the cave on Sundays expecting something to happen, it gives you the possibility to walk out into the light. Amen? To walk out into God's presence and power. And I believe some of you each and every Sunday stand between two perceptions. I get it. You may not know what the future holds. You're not totally out yet. So you're just kind of, I'll just see. But at least you're standing there. And because you came today, I know you've got expectancy. And because you've got expectancy, maybe you can see a little bit of light. Is there anybody in this room that can see the possibility of life on the other side of your dark situation? Amen. And if you have that hope, church, if you have that hope, anyone in the cave can come out. Are you hearing me? Let me read you somebody that has some hope. Hey, Pastor Kylie, just wanted to let you know how relevant your message was to me. I saw a vision during service of the holes in my soul being bandaged by the promises of God. Not just slapping a band-aid over the hurt, but truly accepting the truth and letting it heal me deeply. On my sheet of paper of losses, I am writing a promise that trumps every lie I have believed and lived with. That's somebody that walked in here with expectancy and hope and walked out changed. Are you hearing me today? Now notice with me, I'm saying hope. Notice with me what I said at the end of worship. I'm not asking you to have faith. you got to have hope first. Because if you don't have hope, faith has nothing to do. 
For faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if you're not hoping for a better life, if you're not hoping to come out of the spirit of darkness, if you're not hoping to come out of that habit, faith ain't going to do you any good. i got to have hope. How dare you on a Sunday morning to have hope and expectancy? While you're standing at the mouth of the cave in worship or sitting at the mouth of the cave listening to a message... You can be here and say, I may not have a husband, but I got hope. I may not have a happy life, but I've got hope. I may not have all the bills paid, but I've got hope. I may not act like I want to act like he's preaching that I should act, but I got hope that God can do something in my life. Come on and give him praise. Look around, because every Sunday, the attendance goes up and down, right? I mean, look around. I mean, we got, now we know some people are scared to even come out, so that's why they're not here. But look around. Look around over here. We, you, all this used to be, you know why? Because the enemy knows that the word of God is being preached in this place. The presence of God is flowing in this place. And if the devil can keep you home, busy doing things on Sunday, he knows that he can stop the word of God from placing a hope back inside of you because he fears hope, because hope begins to resuscitate the Christian and it breathes life back into you to where you can go out there and faith can begin to operate and you can come out of your cave. Come on and give him praise in this place. God says, wait for me, Elijah. I'm about to pass by. Why? Run on over there to the New Testament. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He said, wait on me. I'm about to pass by. Is there anybody in here that you're dealing with something and you're still waiting on the Lord to pass by? Anybody in this room? And here's probably what you found. You have tried this, that, and the other, and it didn't work. You've tried to do it in your own strength, and it didn't work. You tried to get you out, but you let yourself down. And now you're waiting on the Lord. Because He will allow you to exhaust everything that ain't going to work. And once you exhaust everything that ain't going to work, then He'll pass by. So you got to keep on waiting. Are you hearing me? As the musicians come, I want you to uh, see this. God asked him again. What are you doing here, Elijah? If God ever asks you a question twice, he's digging deep. And look at Elijah. Tells him the same stupid pathology. The same pattern. The same perspective. God, this is still how I see it. This is why I am here. Now look at after. Look what happened before the second question that he still has that same pathology. Don't miss that. Big stuff happened. The wind came. Broke up rocks, y'all. The earthquake came. The fire came. But what does God show us? I ain't in it. Right? If he wasn't in it, 
than what was. Look at the screen. Be careful. The enemy will always make his last stand with things that passed by and did not work. What do you mean, Pastor? Pastor, I just know this conference is going to set me and my marriage free. I'm so excited about it. I got my plane tickets. I'm going. I'm going. This is going to be it. But it didn't get you delivered. I know I'm coming to encounter night. It's going to be a powerful worship experience. I know, I know that's going to be the place that I get set free and delivered. I'm not saying that God's not in any of our services. But what I am saying, what the enemy will try to do to you, is he'll try to get you to give up with those big things that because you haven't changed your pathology of thinking, he gets you to start blaming it on the church, blaming it on the Word. There ain't nothing that that church can do to change my life. No, it's in you, baby. He gets you to go back in the cave. He gets you to go back to that same pattern of thought Because what you thought those big things should have done, they didn't work for you because you didn't work it. But he convinces you that it never is going to help you. Are you seeing that? You came down here to the altar, but you didn't get healed. You'll never get healed. You went through that series. The struggle is real, but you still got a spirit of heaviness. None of that stuff works. He'll try to bring, or he'll try to get you to focus on the big things and convince you that it's not working. Are you hearing me? But God says, keep on standing. Keep on standing. I'm about to pass by. And I want you to see that sometimes the noisy big stuff doesn't get you delivered. It'll give you strength. But if you don't change the pathology of your thinking, you'll be right there in that cave. But let me show you what gets you delivered. Finally, the gentle whisper came. And I'm telling you with 100% assurity that when God and God Himself speaks to you, if it's truly God's inner voice in you, that is how you come out and that is how you stay out. His power always comes for a purpose. And if somebody gave you a word and it didn't deliver you, Maybe God wasn't in it. Every time God has spoken to my spirit, and I know it's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords talking to me, I never went back to something. Never went back to something. Because that inner voice came to Elijah. And he said, son, obviously you still got a messed up perception, so let me change it for you. You're wrong. I've got 7,000 prophets that are still holy and they still worship me. Get out of your funk. Go back. Get busy doing the work of the Lord and never come back again. Number four, the right perspective will keep you out of the cave. But you've got to allow God to adjust it. Remember that country song, We Need an Attitude Adjustment or something? Was that not a song? 
It's my song, baby, and I'll sing it. I think it was a song. I'll have to look that up. Play it for you next week. God wants to adjust perspectives in this place every Sunday. Because he doesn't want you living in the cave. Here's your homework assignment this week. you got to pray, God, fix the perception of myself. First, fix the perception of me. Second, God, fix the perception of my situation. Give me a word. Give me a word. I need a word. I need a word. I need a word. Now, some of this may apply to you, may not. Fix the perception of my marriage. Some of you, this applies to you. Fix the perception of my age. You ain't done yet. You ain't over yet. You still got life. You still got breath. You still got a purpose. Some of you are in a season. Fix the perception of my season. Remember last week I said seasons come and go, but your life's not over. Some of you are in a bad season, and you can't shift your perspective. God, give me a word. Give me a word. Fix the perception of my season. For some of you, fix the perception of my relationships. I don't know who that's for. But understand something. That your thinking always causes you to live in a cave. Because the moment he heard the whisper, his perception was corrected. And there is going to be a voice in your life and it's going to speak to you. And that whisper in your spirit is going to be so thunderous that it will thunder against the spirit of heaviness and it will kick it out of your life. Are you hearing me? Because his voice will destroy the cycle. His voice destroys the pattern. His voice destroys the system that keeps you trapped in the cave. But look on the screen. His voice drives it out, but keeping it out is up to you. You've got to keep that perception to keep it from coming back. So understand, perception is the issue in these past two sermons. It bears correction, but listen to me. Elijah was unable to fix it himself. Don't miss that. That's why God had to step in and speak into his spirit. And here's our problem. Look look at me and don't miss this. One of the problems is Christians, and and I've got to admit this, is that Christians buy books from broken people. I'm going to admit it. Every sermon that is preached across America is preached by broken people. So somewhere in there, absolute truth is being tainted, whether in a book or in a sermon, by perspective. So until we get into this truth, which the Bible says is God-inspired, not a single bit of it is tainted by the writer. It's God's perspective and God's perspective alone in absolute truth. It's the plumb line. It's the foundation that we base the rest of our life. It shows us other people's wrong perspective and saying this is how you get out when you're in it. So that's why I try to preach the truth. 
So what I'm trying to tell you is when we walk away from a service and we try to talk to ourselves to straighten our own selves out, you'll never get yourself out. That's why Elijah, as he was kept repeating it over and over, he never got himself out. That's why God had to step in. You want me to prove to you that you talking to you is wrong? When you talk to you, I guarantee you, you don't get better. You get worried. Right? When I talk to me, and I look up information on Google to support my perspective, just get a little tumor on yourself and start Googling it. You're dying. That's why you got to come out of the cave. You got to come out from the battle of your own head. You got to stand on the mountain, not in the mouth of the cave. Go ahead and come on out in expectancy by faith and stand in the presence of the Lord. Because when God spoke to him, that gentle whisper came internally. Now, it may come in your life through people. It may come as you're alone with him in his word. It may come on a Sunday morning through your pastor. But I guarantee you, when it comes, it will break the pattern. And I don't know what any of you are going through. I don't have cameras in your house. But this Sunday morning, it is God's desire to break the pattern in you to keep you from going up and down and up and down because He wants to have stable and steadfast believers. Are you hearing me? Somebody shout, I'm coming out of the cave. Shout it again, I'm coming out of the cave. Say it again, I'm coming out of the cave. Let your spirit hear it. Let your pain hear it. Let your worry hear it. Say it again. I'm coming out of the cave. Because when you come out of the cave, God says, you're not in this by yourself. The only reason you're standing at the mouth, because you feel all alone. The only reason you're standing at the mouth, one foot in and one foot out. And I don't want to dive over to the book of Revelation that he says, I'd rather you be hot and cold instead of lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Get hot, baby. Full of hope and expectancy and faith. But Elijah was lukewarm, one foot in, one foot out. God had to come and say, I've got 7,000 people. And God's telling somebody in this room, I've got 7,000 people that made it through what you made it through. You're not alone. There's people all over this world that's gone through what you're going through. And this pattern of up and down and up and down, I'm trying to allow the power of God to move in this house to break it off this house. Because I believe on Sunday mornings we have cavemen and cavewomen walking in this place. But I'm determined as your pastor that you will come out of the cave. Amen? Here's what I want you to understand. I said it before and I'll say it again. Once Elijah came out, we never see him going back to a dark place again. Because when God said go, somebody shout go. Go. Shout it again, say go. go. It never came back again. So in the name of Jesus... I declare over your life every dark thing it's got to
go in Jesus' name. Every dark thing over this valley has got to go in Jesus' name. Every dark thing over your child has got to go in Jesus' name. Every dark thing over your husband has got to go in Jesus' name. Every dark thing over your wife has got to go in Jesus' name. Can we give Him praise in this place just for the word go? If you've walked in this place and you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are in a whole nother cave. You're in a cave of such darkness that sometimes it's hard to even understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Because not yet has the Holy Spirit been deposited in your life to bring illumination to the Word of God. So maybe you've walked in this place, maybe you're backslidden, used to go to church at one time, but you want to renew your faith in Jesus Christ, you want to say, you know what, this time, you know what, I'm going after it. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't know this church stuff, Bible stuff or whatever, but you're ready to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's asking you right now, what are you doing here? You know you're better than this. You know you're made for more than this. What are you doing here? Just put your name in there. What are you doing here? And I've come by as the pastor of this church to give you an invitation to Him. To where you can operate in His presence, in His power, in His glory. Anybody in this house would say, Pastor, I want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior today. Anybody in this house, would you raise your hand? Anybody in this room? Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you want to rededicate your life. You've fallen away from the fundamentals of the faith, but you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm going to ask for a bold move. I don't mean to embarrass you if you are an introvert and you don't feel comfortable with this. I saw that hand. But those of you that would say, you know what, I've been coming to this church, Pastor, and I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, and I want to let the public know that I'm giving my life to Jesus. Would you get up out of your pew and come with me right now to this? Anybody else? Let me know somebody hasn't given their life to Jesus because we'll, we'll pray them in the kingdom. Amen? So proud of you. So proud of you. God's got something for you, bro. You know it. I feel it right now. I'm going to help you become everything. That God has spoken inside of you. When you thought it was you. It was really the Holy Ghost. Saying I've got big things for you. Amen. The rest of you. Rick if I could get two of those right up under you. The rest of you that have 
raised your hand. I saw that hand. A gentleman just came today. I went up to him. He was crying on the inside. He's been going to church back when he was little. Fell away. He raised his hand today. He did tell me he was an introvert, so that's why he's not standing up here. And we respect that. Amen? Because the Bible says, let me tell you something, brother. You were saved before you walked up here. Because the Bible says it's by faith that we're saved. You've been sitting in this service and faith has been arising. Faith has been arising. Amen? But now, both of you are part of a family. These are your brothers and sisters. And there's some good men in this house that we need to jump in here with him and help him to be all that he's called to be. Amen? So we're going to pray this prayer together. It's just a formality. It's a prayer that I prayed on the 17th green of a golf course. I went down, one man came up a different one. It's time to be a different one. Just repeat this after me. The other two that raised your hand, would you repeat it after me? Jesus, Jesus. come into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood for my sins. No matter how big, no matter how small. Give me the power to walk out my faith. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to make mistakes. But I'll never lose sight of you. I want you to become my Lord. Look at me. I know y'all are tired of hearing it. You just made him your savior. As you walk with him and change those patterns that you know in you that's wrong. That's when you start making him the Lord. That's where you start becoming the real deal. Now in the meantime, you may mess up. Lord knows I did my messing up. and Lord knows I still mess up. But I always get that under the blood. Because I always want him to be my Lord. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is the most powerful scripture that Christians can pray. It's very simple. He is faithful to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And he was actually talking to Christians when he wrote that. So anytime you mess up, you just ask God to forgive you. But don't keep messing up. Keep coming into the house. Change the pattern of the pathology of your thinking. Transform your mind with the renewing of the Word of God. And all four of you that gave your life to Christ will be powerful men of God. Four men gave their life to Christ. Can we erupt in praise? Can we praise Him? Anything you need, okay? Anything you need, brother, you let me know.